All right, well, let's stand for the reading of the word. Today we find ourselves in Jeremiah 29, and this is verses 4 to 7. It reads this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord God of Israel, says to all these I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it is. If it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious promise that you gave an exiled people. A people who had let go of the promise over their lives. A people that had not walked faithfully, yet you are the faithful gods. Lord, no matter how far we run away, you're saying, I still want to prosper you, even in the land of your enemy. Even in the land of your darkness, there is nowhere that you can run from my love. There is nowhere that you can escape from the good things that I want to do in and through you. And so, Holy Spirit, we just again invite you into this place. Lord, we just want to rest in this moment. Holy Spirit, come renew our minds, open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears and eyes to your word afresh today. In the powerful, strong name of Jesus, we say, amen. Please be seated. Next slide. So I've got this uh, awesome guy I came across. Also, the name is amazing. Uh, Frederick von Bottleschwing is the name, and uh, also it was such a rad name that he named it for his son as well, so he's Junior. And uh, these guys were incredible followers of Jesus. Um, the elder, von Bottleschwing, uh, say that enough times fast, von Bottleschwing, um, he founded a school called Bethel, sorry, a community of people, a hospital, for people originally with epilepsy. Um, But at 1900, so from 1867 to 1900, uh, included several facilities that cared for 1,600 physically, mentally disabled people. Now, Frederick Jr. took over from his father's death at 1910, and by the 1930s, it was a whole town with schools. So 1867 started, 1600, it became a town. This is so cool. It became a town of farmers, factories, shops, housings for patients, nurses, and caregivers. At the center were numerous hospitals and care facilities, including orphanages. Now, I came across this story because there's a, another German, these are Germans, just in case you didn't know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a famous, famous man, and uh, he actually encountered these two um, during kind of the late 1930s, and he actually went and visited Bethel, the, the, the town that was called Bethel, um, 
at, because at the time the Nazis coming into like the late 1930s were starting to take power of what it looked like to be the ideal human, which was against Jewish people, which killed millions, but equally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of disabled people were also taken to the gas chambers to be killed. And so there was this narrative that as the younger took on, he would fight, he would hide, he would go against the Nazi regime that said what perfection was because he had an image that understood that all creation, all humanity is made with an image of God. That's the root cause. It's not just care, but it's actually seeing the person before them as an image bearer of God. And they fought hid and kept alive. And actually, sadly, he died at 1946, the junior. He was in his 70s, but can you imagine the toll on his life in his 70s fighting for those who were in need? But before that, and I love this, this is why I put the quote up there, and this is what uh, Bonhoeffer said, it was the gospel made visible. A fairy tale land of grace where the physical and mentally disabled were cared for in palpable Christian atmosphere. What a rich town. Washington, Claysville, other areas would be known as a town with a palpable sense of the atmosphere of grace that loved people well. I want to stir your imagination again. But that feels like so big. That feels so tough. That feels like just a one-off, and it definitely isn't. Because the trademark of the Christian life is to invade. Just go to the next slide. And so this is our local area. This is in Pittsburgh. This is the Bible Center run by John Wallace and Cynthia Wallace. Um, They run an amazing organization, which I've just heard about, called Oasis Project. Now, they took over the church in 2006. In 2013, they started this organization called the Oasis Project. It's a community outreach arm to offer different services to the Homewood families. So I encourage you, do some research. You can just Google Oasis Project Homewood, and that's their centering in the Pittsburgh area. Programs that focus on education, employment, entrepreneurship, and the environment which these take place. And so they have several different areas or buildings. They have some which, uh, I love this organization, um, is the sense of entrepreneurial sense. I love this. All of us inside have the ability to create and need to serve. And that's the kind of heart that they have. They create people who want to learn how to do business. They have that kind of learning space. They have kitchens which teach how to cook and how to make healthy foods. They grow gardens of foods, of healthy foods to teach people, to educate people who are maybe less informed on how to eat and live well. And a community space where all different spaces of people can gather. This is happening in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, there we go, yeah. Cool. And I think that we need to celebrate this more rather than the quick fix, good truth, miracle, which is amazing. Actually, long sustained invading of heaven, which looks like care for those who are unable, empowerment of all people. That's the kind of vision when I talk about renewal of Washington, that's what I want to see. What would it look like for Point View Church to have their own care uniquely designed for us that we, along with the other body of Christ, begin to minister to those who are broken? 
This is the stage we're at at the moment. We're dreaming together. And that's why I want to invite you into this space as well. I'm here to stir your imagination of what's possible with a power of the Holy Spirit that can do far more above and beyond that you could ever imagine. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again until you believe it. And I need to hear it every day as well because I get told another story when I look at Washington and think there's no way. I need to be reminded that faithful men and women who plant themselves do something different. And so we look at the context, next slide, in the sense of Jeremiah today. I love this, the end, that if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says, seek the peace and prosperity of your city. Over and over again, the story mandate is... Adam, placed in the garden, steward, you've been given a blessing. I want to root you in Eden, and I want you to cause it to prosper. We messed that up. Abraham, he comes to a man and says, I want to bless you. I want to root you, and I want you to go and prosper. And Moses takes them out of Egypt, and the same mandate over and over again, but we mess up. And so it's great, isn't it? This overarching thing, but Jesus has come to do what the impossible was, that we needed a transformed heart. A lot of times we input success, failure, that rhythm circle into our time now when the kingdom is completely different. We are under a different covenant. We are under a different story. We are no longer people who are trying to live by the law to achieve the kingdom. We are now people renewed with the law on our hearts, with the Holy Spirit begin to transform who we are so that we can be rooted to be a difference. There's a promise and there's exile. And so just go back a slide there. We are rooted for Anoy, that is the point. Uh, but just a couple more things about that. I love this language build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what is produced. So the writer, Jeremiah, is saying, hey, I don't want you because what was happening, there were prophets, voices, stories in Babylon that were saying, hey, I want you, these false prophets, he claims, people who were saying, escape Babylon, just live quiet, mediocre lives, don't get rooted in community. And so Jeremiah is speaking intentionally because naturally, let's be honest, we will be people who will hide naturally we do not take courage. That's probably one of the most biggest promises Jesus or God needs to say to us over and over again. Take courage. It's like this morning when I'm here Sunday morning, maybe you need your coffee, but I feel this as a worship leader. Guys, take courage this morning. God is good. There we go. And see, it's slowly warming up. We're slowly getting there, but our natural default is to hide. And so Jeremiah, the God, Yahweh, comes and speaks and says, I want you to build. I don't want you just to kind of haphazardly try and work you out. No, I want you to root yourselves in Babylon. I want you to root yourselves in the exile, in the place that is yet to be the promised land. I want you to root yourself and produce. I want you to produce out of that. So what does building roots, next slide, what does building roots in Washington even look like? Reality is, if we're honest, and I was sitting at a coffee table uh, this week talking with some local pastors about this very subject, what would it look like for local pastors to physically renew Washington? 
So to restore, to be able to bring cleanups or working with those in need. And it was funny, an owner came into the room. I won't say who their names were, uh, but they were a store in town and they were just lamenting. Washington isn't what it used to be. I think I might get out. It's just no hope. It's not working. There's no one coming into this town. And I think all of us have this idea that I don't really want to build in Washington. It's almost got this transient sense to it. Even though a lot of you are multiple generations living in this area, there is still this kind of like, I don't want to root myself in Washington. I don't want to associate. And so what's happened is we see a town, a city that is going more and more derelict, broken, because I believe the children of God are not rooting themselves. I believe actually there's a mandate upon us that if we actually chose to root ourselves, we would see the kingdom of God begin to change. Yes, there is frustration. Oh my gosh, there is. I've only been here 11 years. And even just listening to the stories of the pastors of why it doesn't quite work because of the governmental red tape and all that good stuff. But also the story narrative that the goodness is up 19 Just go to 19, up 19, that's where the goodness is. Here, let's just skip over it. I wonder if we changed our attitude and said, I want to be rooted in Washington. To actually take the uncomfortability of saying that. And some of you are just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, okay. We'll do it for this hour, this this moment, right, Johnny? But I don't want to carry on that idea. But let's, uh, that's that's why I just feel that God has impressed on my heart that we would be people that are rooted. And yes, it's going to be slow. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, I think he's wanting to stir something in us. Give us a new vision. So am I rooted even in the right thing? Actually, I believe the challenge is that we are rooted more in ourselves than we are actually in God. Because how do we walk this out? How do we even begin to accomplish what feels impossible? Rooting is the key. Next slide. Psalm 1 is the how. Psalm 1 opens up, and interestingly, just a little Bible fact, which is fun. Psalm 1 is not actually Psalm 1 originally. In fact, Psalm 2 is Psalm 1. There is no actual Psalm 1. It was the introduction to the whole of the Psalms. So when you read the first little Psalm, it is an introduction to how you are to read the whole uh, beautiful, poetic, uh, theological, rich wisdom that the Psalms bring to you. Also the crying lament as well. But you're to read it with the lens of Psalm 1. And as you'll notice, Psalm 1 doesn't actually start with a prayer or a hymn of praise. It starts with a tree that is rooted, a stream. Gives this beautiful image of a person that is rooted in the streams and water. And it's a tree. You're not, and this is speaking to you and me. This is who we can be in Jesus. That we are a tree, not a a shrub or a weed. Maybe you feel like a weed today or a shrub. But Jesus says, no, the psalmist says, I want to root you as a tree, which has this beautiful picture of someone who is mature, someone that is fully nourished, like big and extended in size, pulling on the nourishment of below the stream, not waiting for the rains, as we'll see later on. The rains that come and go, the leaf does not wither. So that kind of productivity, 
That beautiful productivity. It doesn't matter whether it's drought season or whether it's rainy season. This tree does not wither. It is consistent. They are productive trees. They're giving fruits to others. And they're trustworthy. They bear fruit in due season. They know when they're going to bear fruit. They know when they can rest And they know exactly when they can produce the fruit that's so desperately needed. They are faithful, trustworthy, flourishing kind of people. Don't you want that for your life? Like that's a dream. And that's the psalmist's image. This is what you, if you meditate, if you delight and meditate on these things, you will become like a tree. And that is the key that we are looking for today. To be planted in the presence of God. That's what it says. Delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. I love that first word, that we don't strive. It could have easily said, strive after the things of God. But instead, it has this beautiful language of rooting of submitting yourself to it. It contrasts this. Blessed are the ones who do not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or take or sit in the company of mockers. So this beautiful image of someone who is walking in evil, then starts to stand in the evil. They become rooted. And they go further than that. They begin to immerse themselves. They sit themselves in the evil. You ever wondered why people, it feels like, man, they suddenly changed. No, there's always an action that we are contending with. There is a contrast. The writer is saying, off the bat. They are saying, there is a journey. Either you will root yourself in God, or you will walk with evil. You will stand with evil, and eventually you will sit in it, and you will become the very thing which has entrapped you. There's the very thing and root. The psalmist wants to give this wisdom. There is a war on your soul for what is good in this world. And that is the thing. This is the truth. And this is the truth that we see, right? That a mocker is someone that has found their own truth. And they begin to mock other people. This is why we see council culture in this moment, a post-Christian society that is told the narrative, you will find your truth inside of you. It's the narrative that's being said, your truth is inside of you. And this is what we're saying. We become mockers when we root ourselves in ourselves. A mocker is someone who is prideful. It says, I know best, you don't. And they begin to mock from their higher position. And that's because a root of pride, self-rooting, has taken place. Pride will always dwell up if you're not rooted in God. Anything else you are rooted in will always lead to pride, even your good works. And so all of us, let's be honest in the room, there is some pride that we've got to deal with today. We've got to come to God every single day to say, God, where am I rooted today? Am I rooted in self or am I rooted in the stream? Next slide. And so for us, we need to be people who are rooted in relationship. It's so easy for us to walk this walk and turn into a Pharisee, into a religious order that tries to strive. And that's why I love the first words, delight. 
Can I tell you, delight in God today. I've got a fun story that I shared before with some of the guys behind, but this was fun. Yesterday, me and Rach went to a car dealership. Now, I know, how on earth can you have fun, Johnny, whatsoever going to a car dealership? 100% agree. Like, I worked for a couple of months as a car salesperson, and I know the ins and workings. So I was waiting for the haggling and stuff. But fortunately, go on a Saturday when it's really busy. They don't have time for you. And so all I just say is, but I actually do think the culture has changed actually a bit more because of information. But so I went in, and we went to this one place. We're looking for a a used kind of like... uh, I, on my heart now, I've kind of got like a bigger vehicle. We're, we're wrestling at the moment of what to do vehicle-wise, so pray for us in that. Um, but we go in, and we're kind of looking for a, a used car, but they're so busy, they don't, can't get anything ready. And so we kind of gave them the brand. It was a Kia uh, Telluride is what we were looking for. And they were like, hey, there's the key outside. Just go take this one. It's the top of the range. It's the latest and greatest. It's got all the trim packages. And he was reeling off these beautiful things. It's memory foam chair, surround sound. It gives you all the things. This screen is wrapping around me right now. And so we sit into this car and we start driving and the air conditioning through the seats, the the cool air, the heat, and it's memory foam chairs. And you're just like, oh, my head has never felt so rested. And so we're getting this, but get this, this is the most, this is the funnest part, right? On default setting, it has a setting for nature sounds. And so you're literally on the sound system, surround sounded by the the birds and by things and we're driving on 19 in delight and that's what I think it's like for Jesus for us and God's calling us to that we are to be immersed into something delight is only found when you immerse yourself I think a lot of times we have the exterior idea of like emotions right I want to emotionally attach myself I feel a joy but I truly delight when I'm immersed when I'm playing with my kids or I'm just watching them be goofy selves there is nothing more entertaining than watching your kids perform ridiculous songs right in front of you when you are immersed in the situation delight comes right from the bottom I think for us we need to be people that look like that, that when we delight, when we're rooted, we are immersed in the goodness of God. To not just read our Bible and pray, but actually just to sit with Jesus. That's why we posture ourselves and why, before I preach, I come to center ourselves. I want to immerse ourselves into this experience. I don't want to just tell you some really good truths because I believe the Holy Spirit is doing a better job than me right now. In fact, actually, he is subtly working on your heart in this atmosphere where the presence of God is ruling and reigning. And so we, when there's a blessing that we come together, this isn't the penultimate, right? Let me get that straight as well before. This is the only place you find God. No, Er, change that narrative, right? You find God everywhere you go when you stop and say, Holy Spirit, Right? That's why I'm sorry, just to clarify that space. But I do believe that God is working on your heart right now. As you immerse yourself in this moment, there are things that are being transformed that you do not know as the word of God is being read over you. You are being immersed in the goodness of God this morning. And I love this as well that being rooted is a beautiful picture of marriage most contested space at the moment in our Western world where over 50% of people are divorcing because they just don't feel like it anymore, where they're just self-rooting. It doesn't feel good anymore. We grew apart rather than being rooted and having this picture of I'm not leaving you, you're not leaving me, so let's work it out. 
this covenantal marriage of when I say I'm going to be rooted to God, it means sometimes there's going to be some fires that come into your life. It means there needs to be some refinements. There needs to be some pressures which begin to uh, break off, crack, and cut away the things of your false self. And so when we're saying we're being rooted with God, can I clarify today for those who have maybe a wrong expectation, it is not the Christian walk of you just getting better and better, feeling wonderful, feeling more blessed. It's actually more like a wonderful roller coaster of delight. That you delight in the Lord when you're on the highs and when you're going down, crashing down. You're also delighting because God is good and faithful. And that's super easy to say from this moment. Like, I feel like I've been on a roller coaster this year. Like One of the most traumatic moments in my life where I thought my daughter was going to die to this moment standing before the stage where I feel fullness. It feels like a roller coaster where there is delight and there is pain. But as I immerse myself in the rooted relationship of Jesus Christ... I can know that all good things are coming because he works them together for those who love and surrender their hearts to him. So this is the picture of marriage. But I love that word as well we looked. It's delight and it's meditation. Meditation, a rhythm, is important to cultivating delight. Rhythm is important to cultivating delight. Next slide. I want to look at the story just quickly as we carrying with our time here, Daniel, rooted Daniel was. So Daniel was one of the exiles. He was one of the men that Jeremiah was even writing to. This Daniel who was set apart for being someone who was good looking, um, excellent in their, uh, who they were as a character, excellent in their work. They were taken from Jerusalem because of his skill sets. And he was brought into the place, but yet Daniel, over and over again, never lived into the city. He literally probably read Jeremiah's like prophetic word and took it to his heart that I'm going to be someone that is going to work well, and I'm going to work for the kingdom of God to see it realized. Just There's such a beautiful, rich story in and through this whole narrative of Daniel. And he's over and over again being tested, and he is not walking or falling into the cultural norm of the day. He is set apart, truly, yet living for transformation in the city. And he lived as God as his source. Daniel was someone who had the the source of, of God in his life. I think of it like this. There's this moment in, we're about to read in this passage just to set the context. This is just before the lion's den that's about to happen. Now, uh, Daniel serves under three kings, two kingdoms. That's amazing. Like to be able to sustain your job over those amount of times, different leadership, different styles, that he would be able to be someone that would steward during that time. And so Daniel has been tested over and over again, and his friends. In this moment, they say, we can't find anything wrong with the man. But the one thing we can do is he worships the wrong thing. Do you have a life that if someone combed through it, they can't find anything wrong with you, but what you worship isn't right? 
Like if they comb through your social media over a week, let's just say a week, right? Let's give some grace. Some week, would they find Jesus in your social media? And I'm not saying, hey, repost Jesus to get blessed. I'm not saying that, right? You know, those kind of things that used to be a thing through the messages, like you've got to say amen to this or you're not blessed. No, I'm not saying that. But like, would there be a posture that would say, man, I can't find anything wrong. They're not slamming people. They're not lowering anyone. They're, they're being kind and encouraging all the time can't find anything to pull them out. Do we have those kind of lives like Jesus? That's a great question to ask, right? What are we exuding out to the world? Would they find it hard to say that our lives, or would our lives look exactly like the world? Would it be so rooted that it would be like, well, I can't tell any difference to how they live. They, they, they talk the same as me. They cuss the same as me. They live the same kind of things. They're always just consuming, 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 and they always look hopeless. I don't see anything different to their lives. So Daniel imparts this conversation that I think is so necessary for us. Would it be a Christianity that even the governmentals or the people of the powers of this world would say, we've got to take their God because there's nothing else we can pin them on? Like that kind of narrative that would be like, we've got to stop worship because they're just so influential and we can't find anything wrong with them anymore. Let's stop their God. Like that's just a conviction that I think is really cool. Um, and so this is the moment where Daniel hears the, no- the, the notice going around that now you are to worship Darius. So you pray to Darius the king to uh, get your blessings. And they know that Daniel won't follow suit. And this is what happens. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. It's a beautiful line. It's such a beautiful little story. Can you imagine that? That no matter the trauma, no matter the pain, no matter the uh, trouble that he's getting into, he does not deviate from who he is. He's so ingrained in who he is. That's because we need rooted in rhythm. We need to be people who are rooted in the kingdom of God, in a rhythm that says, I've got such a habit of prayer, such a habit of reading my Bible, that when bad news comes into my world, all I do is just get back into prayer, get back into scripture, get back into these things, which I know root me in. So next slide here, rooted in rhythm is what we want to be. Think about every day, three times a day. Fix your mind on the intentions. And that's the thing. Our intentions are always being pulled more than ever. And so do you have a rhythm through your day where you intentionally change your focus back to God? Now, no guilt in the room whatsoever if you're not. But I would encourage you to get some form of rhythm that says, I'm just going to take a minute. Even the best thing, this is the worst thing and the best thing, right? Our phones. You could set an alarm. I have an alarm at 9, 12, and 3. And just an alarm that reminds me. And sometimes I miss the alarm, right? I am not perfect. But I miss the alarm. But what happens if you had an alarm that says, hey, recenter yourself to God right now? And you take 30 seconds just to say, God, I know that you're here with me. Would you reveal yourself to me right now? Come, Holy Spirit, come. If you just had that quick second that deviates your mind, and don't try and start with the impossible, like minutes and whatever. Just try a pattern that takes a few seconds to recognize that you need God in your day. 
I believe that would start to change you. Because Daniel, who was successful, uber successful, right? He was someone who had a regular rhythm that would spend time seeking after God. He didn't set his rhythm on his own accord. He didn't think, I'm a really talented guy. I'm just going to make it by myself, because he could have. Instead, he said, I need to reorientate my way to the kingdom of God. He would open his windows. You can imagine on that morning, he may have thrown the windows open a little extra that day. He might have just gone, bang, I am defiant towards Babylon and this culture. I'm going to pray to Jerusalem. Because they said, never forget Jerusalem, because that was the image of the kingdom coming into the moment. And so he was defiant. He was praying not only just this idea of, uh, of save us, but he was saying, I long to see Jerusalem, the culture of Jerusalem, invade this whole world. And he had that heart and conviction through rhythm. I think about uh, a guitar. A lot of times, this is how I think, because musician and stuff. But a guitar is a great form of what we mean by rhythm. The way that I create rhythm, as we know, is tension. And often it's the headstock which does the right tuning. So me and Sam are always tuning our instruments. And uh, we're trying to make sure our headstock is right. If you've got something off, you'll hear about it. And I think so often as Christians, we need to have this tension of a headstock. Not my knowledge, not my truth, but God's knowledge tuning me to the kingdom and the methodology. That's what rhythm does. First, I've got to retention myself to what is right, what is good, what is perfect, what is the kingdom of God, right? But the tension doesn't work if I don't connect myself to the body, if I don't connect myself to something. There has got to be this tension. So a lot of Christians, we try and tune ourselves with no tension, no tension of the body, no tension of looking for the renewal. And so I think as Christians, we say, I've got a really good biblical life, Johnny. I read, I pray, I do the rhythms, but you've got no tension. You're not living into the city. You're not living into the neighbors that are surrounding you. You're not living with that uncomfortable worker that you don't really like. Or the email from that customer or that person or the person just right in front of you or the person you're even married to. Like there are situations where there needs to be tension. We need to have tension to have rhythm. I can't play rhythm on my guitar if it's just attached to the headstock. I need the body. But I can't just be in the world if I don't have my headstock right. If I'm not getting myself realigned over and over again. Daniel disengages from the cultural norms of the day. Daniel intentionally does not live the way, the way he eats, the way he lives, the way he talks. He reorientates his whole being. He does not bow to the cultures of the day. And so my question to you now as we land today, what is, what separates you from the city? What separates you from Babylon? Just take a moment just to reflect. Do I look different to the world? What kingdom am I rooted in today? Am I rooted in myself, my own self-needs, my own gratification? Or am I rooted in a kingdom to say, God, I want to be a vessel. I want to be a tree that is rooted in you, that bears fruit for others around me. Which are you? Self-rooted or rooted in the stream. See, we want to offer, go to the next slide, we want to offer fruits to the world everywhere we go. The church 
does not live for itself. Let me get this clear. The church does not live for itself, but for others. Like, that's a cultural norm that we need to do. So I need you to understand, as we being part of Point View Church, it won't always cater to what you want to hear and say and do. It won't always tick your boxes. You won't always come today and be like, well, I didn't get anything out of that service. Like, because it's not about you for you. It's for you for the kingdom of God to see renewal come in and through you. And I love just this first practical part, right? We keep bringing it back to a practice, and the practice is prayer. Prayer changes everything. Daniel's first posture was not to freak out or start Google searching or trying to find all the ins or the loopholes into what was the creed was happening. No, he went back to his rhythm, which was in the delight of, of God. He had a delight in him that he was so rooted. And that delight formed by the rhythm, because it's not always going to be a delight. It's not always going to be the top of the range, air con surround sound moments, right? The rooting isn't always going to be that. But God does want to bring delight into that space where you feel. I love this. Just a, a posture that we want to do. The last great awakening, which is close to over 100 years ago now, uh, so there's two great awakenings. There was a great awakening, a revival that flooded through the U.S. I I was just reading the stories and just like, God, do it again. Thousands of people gathering to pray every single day in cities. Just postures, because what had happened was the end of the the 1800s, America suddenly boomed with population, like 4 million up to like 11 million. So it was almost like tripling in size, and all of the depravity, all of the culture was just sucking. It was was going bad. And there was not one, this is what I love about the Great, Great Awakening, there was not one person suddenly like started to pray, and it all kind of came about. There was this echoing, this kind of ripple effect that was happening that as, as different cities were starting to see the dissatisfaction in front of them and saying, I've got to pray. There is nothing else we can do. Do you feel that tension in your heart today? Because it feels like all the institutions are not answering our questions. Amen? Like we can definitely agree on that. It doesn't matter what political side you're on today. We can agree everything is tanking. And it's, it's good. It's good because, we, yeah, yeah. Because we are finally getting to the answer, which was always God. We are so self-sufficient in this space. And I believe that we are having the, 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 the ripples, the, the kind of like birthing pains for another great revival. And this is the quote that they observed. This is the quote they said from the Second Great Awakening. I want to land with this today. They noted that before God pours out his spirit in revival, he grants a spirit of heartfelt petition. God leads his people to pray for that which he designs to give. God leads his people to pray for that which he designs to give. God is building tremors inside of you because one, you were born with the image of God and you see all the world is born with the image of God within them. That's a reality. That's why we all ache for the transformation of this world. We all ache and see that it's not like it should be. There's an there's a, there's a ache inside of our hearts, and whether we choose to ignore it or not, it is still there. 
And God turns up the volume when he wants to do something. And that's why today you feel this ache. You feel this dissatisfaction. You feel this pain. And I would say lean into it today. And if you don't feel dissatisfaction, again, where are you rooted? No condemnation, but I just want to wake you up today. I want to wake you up, not to the uh, depravity and the depression, but I want to awaken to you that God is saying, I want to put into people a restoration and hope. And so God leads his people to pray for that which he designs to give. He's not a cruel father. He's not a cruel father that says, "Eh, I'll give them the ache and I won't do anything for them. He's putting an ache inside of your heart because he wants to do something in your family, in your generation. He wants you to be a generational person. And what if Washington would look like the German Bethel place? I can't remember their names again. I need to see it. Uh, von von uh, Schweidus, Schweidus, something like that. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, one of those strings. Um, thanks, Jan. One more back. That'll be the ones. Let's imagine these guys... Those two who live generationally, who just decided that we are going to be hearts that are set aside for God. God is only looking for your yes today, and your yes tomorrow, and your yes the next day. And this daily step, it's not across the line, hey, I'm going to dedicate, and maybe you do need to make a a rededication to God this morning. And just if maybe if we just put some ministry music on, just lower the lights. I just want to take just a moment for us, because this is what we mean by being charismatic. We finish our message, not with a good truth, but we say, come Holy Spirit. And so if, if we today, as we come with this, again, I want you to imagine yourself as a tree. So bring to mind that you are a tree today. What is your main input? What is your main input? Are you drawing life from the stream of God with a regular rhythm of being with Him every single day? Or are you rooted in yourself and you feel all the anxieties, all the pain? You're distracted even now. You just don't want to feel right now. It's like one of those things. You're so, you're so hurried You've been able to uh, medicate yourself, not literally, but just escapism. You've just been able to escape every single moment. I don't want to feel. And the invitation today is, I want you to feel where you're rooted today. I want you to take stock of your heart today. Who are you giving fruit to today? Who are you giving fruit Maybe your family, your friends. Do you have fruit on your tree? Are you creating shade, covering for another? Do you have a drought in your life? And my encouragement to you, if you have a drought... There is a leaning that God is noticing, the Spirit is noticing in your life, and none of us are perfect, but your life is actually rooted in the rains, the comings and goings of rains, more than you're rooted in the stream of God, which is consistent. That come rain or shine, you'll be someone that gives glory to God. 
And so if you have a drought, if you feel like you're in a drought season today, I just want to pray for you right now. And so just if, if you would, just even put your hands out in front of you if today, if you feel like you have a drought today, if you just put your hands out in front of you, and we just want to invite Holy Spirit into the space. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what the impossible is? These hearts are saying, I'm tired of living in this drought. I'm tired of living in this space of unfulfillment. Johnny, I've heard him speak about this delight and I want it. And God is saying, would you surrender? Would you repent? Repent meaning change your mind. Let go. Repent. And say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live differently today.